Let's go inside the vault, the design vault. The idea become into doing a L-shape design. And because it was kind of long L-shape, it gave me the opportunity to create the design as there are certain components of structures together with the playfulness of a roof, which is important for Tudor style, and also different height and introduction of stucco and introduction of wood paneling, framing stuccos and brick. This is my guest, Susan Laurie. I'll share more about her shortly. In this episode from the Design Vault, we'll highlight Susan's project, Henhawk House. This project was a renovation and major expansion of an existing 4,100-square-foot residence. The new home is approximately 13,300 square feet. The home features steeply pitched slate roofs, multiple gables of varying size, light red brick facades, and half-timbered elevations with stucco infill and light gray wood. The homemade brick is highly detailed with soldier, diagonal, and herringbone coursing. The design also features tall, narrow windows, elliptical masonry archways, and red copper gable finials, all of which reference early English domestic architecture and, of course, the Tudor style. Although the exterior of the house is a traditional design language, the inside is completely open, functional, expansive, bright, and modern. Hi, I'm Doug Pat, and this is Design Vault. Today, we're talking to Susan Laurie, AIA. Susan is a graduate of the University of Tehran School of Architecture in her native Iran. Susan continued her studies in America with two master's degrees in architecture and planning from the University of Pennsylvania. She began her professional career with the Eggers Group PC in New York, where she was the first woman to be named vice president. Susan founded her own firm in 1992. Her business is a full-service boutique architectural and design-build firm that crafts custom residential and commercial architecture in the greater tri-state area. Susan was elected president of the Long Island chapter of the American Institute of Architects for the year 2000, and her firm is an ongoing member. Susan Laurie, Architect PC, is celebrating their 30-year anniversary. So let's get into the details. Welcome, Susan. Thank you. So, Susan, tell us a little bit about your firm. Where are you located? What's the size of the firm? And what type of work do you typically do? My firm located in village of Roslyn in Long Island. It's about half an hour drive from Manhattan. It's on the north shore of Long Island, Nassau County. The space that we occupy is a very old building that was built in 1796. And we actually are the very first tenant of that upper portion of the building. The building was used mostly for offices for timber construction, and it's a landmark building. The owner of the building eventually was changed and turned into medical offices on the lower level. And then the upper portion was like an office space and a magnificent space in the attic that has never been used. And the space has worked out in terms of your size and number of people you have? You know, I always wanted to have a smaller firm. I am a bit of control freak, a bit OCD with perfectionism. (laughs) So 
fortunately or unfortunately applies to my projects as well. I need to be intimately involved in the entire process, not only design, but also selection of material, finishes, you know, detailing, selection of the trades. So I thought that we really wouldn't and shouldn't have many, many projects at once. So my intention has never been to have a very large offices. So we all kind of involve on purpose, intimately, with every single project going on in the office. I believe that if I get my staff involved in the life of a project, then they will be more interested to contribute and perform to their best ability. And they're all involved with the clients. It's like we're all together. The number of people working for me at this point are five, so we are six of us all together. And at this point, and for a while actually, majority of our concentration has been on residential projects. So what is your role in the office? What are you involved with? I put so many different hats. I kind of thought so. It's bringing marketing and bringing client in, although I have help. But then interviewing, accepting the project, preparing fee proposals. Design is all mine. That's what I do. Although right now, Ricardo from my office, who is actually on paternal leave, has trained to be very good designer as well. As much as possible, I could make it happen. Mm-hmm. I let him get involved to have his point of view. And he's really getting better and better. A majority, I would say, the concept is mine. Detailing is mine. The brick should be on an angle is mine. The interior architecture is mine. Furniture furnishing. <laughs> so I do a lot. <laughs> so tell me, you do a lot of drawing by hand, a lot of sketching. Is that the way you pass along your information, no, the ideas? No, actually, yes, I do hand sketch. I do hand sketch during schematic. And when I would like to explain an idea, it's all hand sketch. But everything else is CAT. Okay. So what CAT system are you guys on? We are basic CAT, actually, because we are too detailed. I checked all different advancements of CAD, and I kind of thought that what we have, which is really basic CAD, has been incredibly helpful for us to provide us the possibility to go detailed. We detail everything. Yeah. Like our set of construction drawing is close to maybe 30 drawings, just architecture. And when it gets to interior architecture is another like 30 drawings. We detail like cabinetry and bathroom tiles, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you get into everything. Yeah. So let's talk about the Henhawk House. So tell me how your office got the project. Well, as usual, they find us. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. And they came to us and it's a young couple, very young. And the house was, they fell in love with the land. Location is really a fantastic location. It's a tree-lined boulevard-type street in Long Island. The house itself was Tudor-style brick, relatively small. Zoning-wise, we were allowed to build close to 8,000 square feet, and their existing house was close to 4,400 square feet. So there's an FAR there. Yes, yes. Everything we do is full-force zoning and (laughs) rules and have... Kind of, I've learned them really well as much as can be played with. We have learned it all. But the house had character, but the house was dim. Like typically, 
Tudor-style houses from outside are just stunningly gorgeous piece of structure. And when you go in, it's just sad, dark. I love the way you describe that. It's so true. So many Tudors right? really feel that way. Absolutely. You know, in a way, it, it gives this kind of fear of people to do Tudor because they think Tudor is supposed to be dark, dark interior. And that is not going to happen with my approach to design because I like the style of Tudor and I don't like the style of sad inside spaces. So it's bright and happy and is open, is spacious, you know, lots of windows. And in this particular case, the expansion of the house was extensive because I needed to keep a chimney. Was this a functional chimney or boiler flues? Yes, functional chimney. And then we wanted to keep a fireplace. We wanted to keep a chimney. And they wanted to keep the ceiling, plasterwork ceiling of a dining room. So I said, okay, we keep all those three, but we get rid of everything else. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we did. Wow, right. I'm sure the contractor loved that. I work with a contractor that I absolutely love him. I'll, I'll get to the stories of my contractors because we are very involved in the construction process. So my knowledge of construction is very high. And the contractor on this job was incredibly knowledgeable man who loved to do stuff like that, but didn't care much to deal with clients and with everything else, yeah. paperwork. So it worked perfect. The idea become into doing a L shape design. And because it was kind of long L shape, it gives me the opportunity to create the design as there are certain components of structures together, section by section, with the playfulness of a roof, which is important for Tudor style, and also different height, and also introduction of stucco and introduction of wood paneling, framing stuccos, and brick, and also playfulness of a brick. I think we were good in accomplishing that because it has its playfulness and although it's relatively large, but it is not overwhelmingly massive. Yeah, I'd say it's well-scaled. It is well-scaled, right? And then at the end, we realized that there's no way we could match the old brick. So I know Glengarry very well because if I ever have done any brickwork, it has been Glengarry. And why? Because the quality of the material, and I get service. So I am fussy enough to worry about the size and also worry about the color of the grout. And I want to have the samples of it made before I even decide what color bricks. So a rep does that service for us and do the color. We provide the color, tell what brick. And between those is what I chose. And eventually, and I have awesome mason that are Italian and five brothers, and they're one better than the other. They're local. They're local. And they do magnificent job. And also, they built a good size. They did a mock-up mock for you. Mock-up, yeah. absolutely. And one other thing that I was almost kind of experimenting on this project was that I love the style of Tudor on the outside. I don't like the inside. So that was one issue. Second issue, I like the playfulness of how we could create interesting textures and playfulness of the laying of the brick, but 
tutor would allow me to do that because we are compartmentalizing pieces here and there. Other style, don't do that. And then that herringbone style has to be compartmentalized, Yeah, right? And between the boards, I think at one... And between the boards yeah. would work. We shouldn't do too much of it because too much of accessory, not good. So it allowed me to experiment and do detailed work. And also choosing of the color of the brick and the color of the stucco and the freedom I had in detailing and designing and working also with the roof and with the roofer. I'm friend with the roofer. I'm friend with the mason man. I'm friend. And to make sure that we get eventually a beautifully detailed house on the outside. And then when it comes to the inside, our life is modern. We are living in this time. Our space should be representing our era. Did you guys use any brick on the interior? Not on this project. What were some of the historical precedents? We were talking about details. Were there any local buildings that were tutors? Was this the only yes, tutor? Yes, actually, locally? no, no, it's not. In this particular street, there are many other brick buildings. Typically, I would drive around and look at this and I say, oh, this is so gorgeous. And, you know, it's one more beautiful than the other one. But I think mine right now, it's really compete in good level. With I, lo them. I love it. That's so great. Were there any significant setback issues? So we're talking about the size of the existing houses, almost three times smaller. Were there a significant number of zoning issues other than FAR setback things? Yes. The chimney that I wanted to keep, which was right above the fireplace, was outside of skyline exposure. Okay. There was a height restriction. Yes, we always have height restriction. In this case, I said it's an existing building. This is not a new house. This is a renovation of an existing right. house. So I'm allowed to keep the chimney. And the, that chimney, we end up to really change the inside of the chimney and the outside of the chimney and all the bricks and everything, but we kept the height. Now the zoning building department going to hear that. Fortunately, we had no issue of the setback because we had plenty of space from the front of the house. In Kings Point, the setback requirement for front yard is 60 feet. And we had way more than 60 feet. It was deep enough that I was able to create a parking courtyard in front of the house and the garage. We have one two-car garage on the upper level and then three-car garage in the lowest level. The garage is actually coming further out from the front of the house. But I don't think we had any other zoning issues. But one other feature of the house that I thought it's kind of important, as I was driving around and see all these Tudor houses, Tudor is not a box. Tudor is never a box. Tudor expand. And that is one beautiful feature of when it's all expand. We had a lot of width. Plenty of available width. The size of the property was very large and we had enough room on the side. And I thought that if I could add an extra width to the house, we'll be introducing a brick wall extending from the garage. And that will be the access from the front of the house to the garden. And then you did a series of small windows along the garage, correct? Yes. Because a simple wall without any detail 
in the front elevation was not a good idea. If I can introduce fenestration into the wall and breaking it, because this is, again, the style of Tudor. Did you guys get to do any new details on this project that you hadn't done in the past? Yes, that brick herringbone is new. The playfulness of the brick above the entrance hall in the front and back. Front and back are identical in what they represent. And we don't repeat ourselves, literally. None of our projects are the same. I love the red copper finials on the gable ends. Aren't they Does that double as lightning protection? Yes. And our roofer is just a master roofer. Unfortunately, he retired after pandemic. We loved him. He just spent a lot of time together coming up with ideas. And he performed beautifully. And the door, there's also some another feature. We kept many of the existing trees. Trees are valuable. We don't like to cut trees. doesn't matter if the tree is close to the house or tree is in front of the house. What's wrong? Tree wants to be wherever tree wants to be. So it was a tree that was really beautiful and would end up to be right in front of that passage to the garden. I couldn't cut the tree. I said, let it be. And actually, in some of the picture, you could see that the tree is right in front of the passage. So this is a traditional home, but this question is kind of top of mind for most people today. Does sustainability come up with your clients at all? And Not with my client, but with, my, with me, my office. Okay. We all we do that. I've learned that Maybe I've been kind of lucky here and there having people who really care about sustainability. Sadly enough, majority don't. Or they do not necessarily connect building material to sustainability. So my office does for years. We do it without naming it because then they're concerned about the cost. There are many different areas that we could really think about building the quality of heating and cooling system, the energy conservation, insulation system. Those I do without saying. My clients often would not be bothered with that. Selection of the windows, undoubtedly. Using windows with the UL rated that transform the least amount of light, not brightness, but UL into the house, we do. When it comes to Insulation system, all spray foam. This goes without saying in every project we do. Selection of the material, natural, as much as we can. Selection of material that are not biodegradable, I fight for that, to not do it. Did your clients want to use brick from the very beginning? Yeah, because the house was already brick. So I thought that they liked the house. They loved the ceiling of the dining room. Say, so fine. That was kept. And then I said, what else do you like? We like the fireplace. Okay, I like the chimney, but they like the fireplace. Fine. What else? Brick. And I said, okay. Because Tudor's style is brick. Well, and I'm thinking it solved so many design challenges for you guys. I mean, you got to be really playful with brick, but yeah. it also solved a lot of problems. Well, what brick, needless to say, is an amazing material. And it has been used for centuries and centuries and centuries and still doing well. So I don't quarrel when it comes to selection of brick. Did your team learn anything interesting through the process of building this building? We do on every building, actually. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? 
doesn't matter how long you've been practicing. Every one of us seems to learn something new every, every job, more than one thing. Undoubtedly, information constantly changes. Yeah, that's a good point. It really does, yeah. And what is available in the market constantly change. I think we become obsolete if we do not pay attention to what's happening. If we become comfortable in doing the same thing on and on, then our curiosity also lacks. And then we become so proud in what we do because we're successful and we are you know, making money and we made it and we repeat the same thing. That is kind of the end of creativity. Off subject, have you thought at all about AI and what it means for our profession? Yes. I kind of love the idea. Yeah? Yes. And I know that so much of worries there is there of AI to replace human beings. At the end, we are using the AI either to our benefit or not. But I think the benefits that AI could do are so amazingly high. So using it as a tool. Like everything else. Well, I just wonder at what point, how much control are we going to have over how we're using AI, how our clients who aren't coming to architects are using AI, whether or not architects will ultimately use it as part of their services. It's a huge can of worms, but it's definitely something I've been thinking about. Let me tell you something. When I was graduating from UPenn. I went to Penn, by the way, too. Did you? I did. For graduate school, yeah. Okay, so same with me, graduate school. When I was graduating, they had a lecture, farewell lecture, and the lecture was kind of gloomy because now we're done, graduated, we're sending you off to practice architecture, but we want to let you know the number of percentage of American buildings being designed by architects. I don't remember exact number, but it was between 9 and 11. <laughs> and then they right. said, Compared to European, that I remember very well, 45%. Wow. So I left school knowing that. Then I was thinking that that is not the problem necessarily with architect, but the problem of America not know what we do and the importance of our presence for every project. And that is again and again and again, we need to somehow change the level of knowledge of public, which I think AIA is trying to do the best of their ability to inform public as the importance of architect, because we are not a set of drawings. If anybody thinks that our world is a blueprint, then they have no clue of the importance of architect in any project. And we should also never try to compare ourselves or believe that builders have taken our spot because typically, especially for residential architecture, people go to a contractor sometime before sure. coming to the architect. And that is because contractor has been available and present for years and architect have not been available and present. And the majority of quality architects, they don't want to even go to residential architecture because to them it's just not good enough. And they have left these vast possibilities. They have our builders build these buildings by not the fault of themselves because they don't know better of whatever is left of the world of residential architecture in America is sad. Wow. What I like about your position is that it's very positive, right? You could sit there and say, you know what? 
we're done designing, AI is going to be able to do it. It's going to have access to every design in the world and it's going to take over the world. And I love your explanation of being in school and hearing that architects, and I think I heard the same thing, that they were only responsible for a very small percentage of what was actually being done out there. And the reality is you still have a job and I still have a job. And although our jobs may change, I think we're going to be busy for a long time. We're going to be fine. Yeah. We're going to be fine. And I think it's gradually shifting. If people are shifting toward being concerned about their well-being, if shifting about being concerned about their health, their eating habit, small percentage, but we are small percentage when it comes to using our services. So I think architecture and our part of the work, which is the importance of aesthetic, this is something I cannot put more emphasize on than anything else. Even if you don't need my knowledge, fine. But then the contractor's knowledge, yes, he has knowledge of construction and maybe knowledge of material, but doesn't have knowledge. Doesn't have the aesthetic training. No. Well, Susan, it's been really nice to meet you. Thank you so much. So where do people go to find out more about Susan Laurie Architect PC? I have a website, Susan Laurie Architect and Instagram. Very good. Well, thank you very much for being here. It was really nice to meet you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I love your house. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you learned something today, share this episode with a friend and give us a rating. And review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. If you want to find out more about today's project, visit glengarry.com forward slash design dash vault. That's G-L-E-N-G-E-R-Y dot com forward slash design dash vault. Want even more inspiration? Take a look around glengarry.com while you're there. Glengarry is one of the nation's largest brick manufacturers and an industry leader for its diversified product line of more than 600 brick products. With inspiring photos, useful resources, easy search tools, helpful design studios, and more. I'm sure you'll find the inspiration you need to stretch your imagination.